0: Welcome, welcome, welcome once again to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And I want to say shalom to everyone. Shalom, laka, peace to you. If you notice, we've been, we are on part eight of the Simple Solutions. What is the simple solution for Hebrew America, Black America, who was brought over on slave ships to get out of what we've been going through here in the four corners of the world, where our people have been scattered because of lack of the, of keeping the YAH's covenant. What is the simple solution to correcting our sins, our forefathers sins in violating the covenant? That's what the pastor is going to be talking about in the simple solution. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side is Pastor Richard Washington. If you have any questions or comments while this podcast is live, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com, or you can drop your message in the chat. We would love to hear from you. And not only your messages, your comments also. Well, if you are ready, I'm ready, you ready for the study today, I'm going to turn it over to the pastor.
1: Okay, thank you very much, boys. And where we left off last week, we were looking at how this deceptive behavior uh, that we are experiencing in Abraham and Isaac and how they were mimicking uh, some of the same attributes. And we trace those attributes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with our first parents. And so we want to continue with that because. What we find out is that when Adam and Eve did make a breach in the covenant, then their nature changed and it came all the way down to Abraham as well as Isaac. So we want to continue that that narrative uh, as we pursue this subject, because when we talk about the simple solution, what we discover is while the solution is simple, in order to reach that solution is very difficult because our nature has so much changed and is constantly changing so this is what we want to pursue uh, today how deception has really changed the nature of man so let us pray our loving father we thank you for another privilege of being able to come together again to be able to discuss your word and we pray for each person that is online that the power of the Holy Spirit Lord who has inspired prophets in days of old to write your word may give us the understanding of it, and through the person of your Holy Spirit, we may be able to discern what it is that you would have us to do that we can prepare for your coming kingdom. So bless the speaker, bless the technology, bless each one who listens, and most of all, bless our fellowship with thee, that it might be what you would have it to be. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and for his dear sake we do pray, Amen. Amen. And Amen. Amen. Okay, the first the, our first text that we want to use is found in the book of uh genesis and we want to go to genesis uh, chapter 3 and verse 10. okay genesis chapter 3 and verse 10 and here it says and he said i heard thy voice in the garden and i was afraid because i was naked and i hid myself Okay, we, we we wanna look at uh, why he hid himself and where he hid. Now, when we consider Adam and Eve, when you consider Adam and Eve's fear and falsification, they came as a result of the serpent's deception. Now, once they were under the influence of deception, they hid themselves. Deception led to fear, and fear led to falsification, and, falsi- f- f- and falsification led to hiding. Now, this hiding of the once holy couple actually came in two in, in two f- phases. So let's look at these two phases, because the Bible says that they. And they hid themselves, okay, in verse 10. It said they they the naked, and I hid myself. Okay, now this hiding comes in two phases. All right, now let's look at the first phase, the first phase of hiding. And we turn to Genesis, uh, still in chapter 3, and we want to consider verse 7. And verse 7 says, and the eyes of of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons." Okay. So the first phase of their hiding started when they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now this clothing of themselves with fig leaves not only served as a covering, for their nakedness, but somewhat of an atonement. Now, when we look up the word, uh, when we look up the word uh, for atonement in the Hebrew, the word is uh, kafa K-A-P-H-A-R, khafa. Now, kafa is the same word we use for, for, for atonement, and it means to cover. So when we talk about the atonement, we talk about the covering. Just like on the Day of Atonement, it was a day of covering. That's what it was. That's why they call it the Day of Atonement. So when you say it's a day of atonement, which is a day of covering, then what is covered? Well, well, what is being covered is, is our sins. That's what's being covered. So when we talk about Adam and Eve taking fig leaves to cover themselves, uh, why was this covering needed? Why was it needed? Uh, When they broke the covenant with their creator, the glorious light that enshrouded their being was gone. And now their nakedness appeared and they tried to atone for it by covering themselves with fig leaves. For them to do so would be to try to atone for themselves by human means. Now the work of their own hands, they were trying to atone for themselves. Now neither neither the crafting of the, lick of the fig leaves into aprons nor the wearing of them could atone for them. They couldn't hide themselves behind their works of their hands, nor the materials of the fig leaves to be accepted uh, with their maker. So when we read verse 7, it says uh, in the latter part, and they sold fig leaves together and made themselves aprons." That was not sufficient uh, to atone for them. Their atonement must be by Elohim himself. Now the first human couple had to realize that they didn't create themselves nor could they redeem themselves. Redemption was something only Elohim could both perform and provide for. Now the transgression of Adam and Eve rendered them unqualified to attain salvation on their own. It was Elohim who would both perform the redemptive act and provide the redemptive means to bring about the atonement and this he did by making them some coats okay now let's go to Genesis 321 Genesis 321 tells us this it says in verse 21 of the third chapter and unto Adam and also to his wife did Yah Elohim make coats of skins and clothe them so you see they needed to be clothed but they couldn't be clothed with fig leaves. So Elohim clothed them because they were trying to hide behind fig leaves. So in order to get the redemption that they needed, they could not hide the kind of false premise that was not sufficient to be able to cover their sins. So Elohim had to take an animal and slay it, and he made them coats of skin in order to cover them. Now, when he put the coats of skin on them, they did two things. The first thing that clothes did for Adam and Eve it was to show them how how sinful sin is. When they transgress, then they had to put on they had to have the coats of skin because of the detriment of transgression. See, transgression caused one to have a difficult time transgression is a hard thing to deal with so he was trying by putting these clothes on on adam and eve is to show the harshness and the severity of sin that's what clothes are for because if they hadn't sinned they wouldn't have needed those clothes so sin shows us the severe penalty of sin and 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 sin also the second thing that sin shows is the warm uh, loving kind Heavenly Father because by putting those skins on there every time they put it, put put those clothes on they were reminded of the harshness of sin but they were also reminded of the warm love of their Heavenly Father who had created them through his son Yeshua so they saw the harshness and they saw the love of Elohim when they put on those clothes now the second phase of hiding uh we 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 find in 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 the verse 8 in other words they hid behind fig leaves but they they had another hiding place okay what was that other hiding place in verse in and in, in Genesis chapter 3 and we look at verse 8 it says it said and they heard the voice of Yah Elohim walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yah Elohim amongst the trees of the garden. Now notice they first hid, hid behind the fig leaves to cover themselves. Now they are hiding behind the trees of the garden. So this second phase of hiding among the trees of the garden, this kind of hiding was to avoid in being in the presence of Yah. They didn't want to be in His presence. The once holy couple used the perfect garden as a hiding place to conceal themselves from their creator and maker. By, by concealing themselves, this would not be ex they would not be exposed to the light of Yah's glory. The glorious light he had clothed them with, of which they lost when they transgressed. So you see, they, they hid from Elohim among the trees because the same light that Elohim was clothed in, he had clothed them in that same glory, but they lost that glory. And as a result, they knew that. So what did they do? They hid among the trees because they knew in order to come into his presence, they would experience a light that they once had, but they could not endure. So they hid themselves. So when we look at those two phases of hiding, what are we looking at? Well, we are looking at the fact that when deception came in, it brought fear. When fear came in, it brought falsification. So what is the fruit of deception? The fruit of deception is fear and falsification. Now, what we see in this scenario is that fear which leads to falsification, which it, which uh, are the results of being deceived, these traits of deception would become a part of man's nature. When we observe that in the family of both Abraham and Isaac, there was some deception detected in their family, And when we look at the family's behavior, we'll see a lot of deceptive practices. This deception would grow to such a proportion that it would have a devastating effect upon not only their families, but for the future family generations afterward. We we will observe deception being played out in the successive generations of the lives of Isaac and Rebekah, who received it from Abraham and Sarah, and in turn would observe it in their offspring of Esau and Jacob." So what we notice is that we are told from Scripture that Isaac loved uh, Esau, and Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, let us look at Genesis chapter 25. So in Genesis chapter 25, we want to look at verse number 28, Genesis 25, 28. So what we're seeing is, in Adam and Eve was deception, and that deception is coming all the way down the line until it gets to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, now here 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 we read in Genesis chapter 28, I mean 25 verse 28. And the Bible says, and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of this his ven- venison. And Rebekah loved Jacob. Okay, so we we see that Esau loved his firstborn which was Esau And Rebekah loved the secondborn, who was Jacob. However, when it comes to the birthright, it was to be given to the firstborn of the family, which meant that Isaac would bestow it upon Esau before he died. Now, the birthright would include receiving of his father's material wealth of livestock, land, and precious metals, along with the spiritual resources of being then leadership over the family. This is what the birthright was about. So let's let's kind of look at the birthright because that that plays a major part. Uh, not only in passing passing it on to the family, but we're gonna see some deceptive practices about the birthright. So so let us turn to Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, we want want to turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21. And in Deuteronomy chapter 21, we want to look at verses 15 through 17. Deuteronomy chapter 21, and we want to start at verse 15. Okay, now here's here's what it says. It said, if a man have two wives, one beloved... And another hated. And they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated. And if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be, when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn, before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath. For he is the beginning of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his." Okay, so what we are seeing here the Bible speaks about a man having two wives, one being hated and the other being loved. Now, what they are saying in there, no matter where the firstborn comes, even if it comes with the hated the wife that was not loved or hated, if the firstborn comes to that, the firstborn still had to get the birthright, even though. He may have desired to give it to the wife that he loved and give it to her son, but the Bible says, no, you can't do that. You have to give it to the firstborn, even though the firstborn was one that you hated. So when we look at the birthright, the Bible says here that in verse 17 that the firstborn would get a double portion. So whatever the father had at death, the son got a double portion, and then the rest of it was, as it were, given to the other. Okay, so the birthright would include all of the father's po- po- possessions in double. Okay, now what was so what was so significant about the birthright? Okay, let's let's find out why was the birthright so significant. Well, we just read that the son of the firstborn, he got a double portion. He got to be the leadership of the family. Okay, but let us lead, let us turn to the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, we want to use chapter 1, and we want to use verses 15 through 18. We want to deal with this birthright. Now, here in Colossians chapter 1, And we're starting with verse 15 down through 18. Now, the Bible says, who is the image of the invisible Elohim, the firstborn of every creature? Now, the Bible talks about the firstborn here. It's saying that Yeshua was Elohim's firstborn. That's what makes it significant, because the firstborn is aligning oneself with Yeshua, who was the firstborn of Elohim. He said for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created by him and for him for he is before all things and by him all things consist and he is the head of the body the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. Okay, so he's talking about he the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might be preeminent. Okay. That in all things he might be preeminent. So what we are looking at is the fact that Yeshua and his father created all things, and Yeshua is the one that is the firstborn who is over all things, be they visible or invisible. And he is the one that has all of the wealth of the universe, all of the celestial real estate. He owns the earth. They have a kingdom in heaven. And Elohim is saying, when you are the firstborn on this earth, you get a double portion. But when we connect with Yeshua, we have all of the real estate and everything at our possession that he has. So, therefore, we become heirs of salvation through Yeshua, who was the firstborn, to be able to give us all of the rich treasures that he has. That's why it's so important. Your birthright is the most expensive thing that you can have. You cannot sell it. It's something that you hold on to because it not only have temporal value, but it has eternal value. That's what a birthright is for, not just in this world, but also in the world to come. That's what it's about. So here we see in this passage that if a man has two wives and one was beloved and the other hated, and both of them bore children. Now, if the one who was hated bore his son first, that son would still be the one in line for the father's birthright. However, in our case, there aren't two wives, but there are two sons. And the firstborn is loved by the father, and the secondborn is loved by the mother. We read that earlier. Esau was loved by his father, and Jacob was loved by his mother, okay? So we have two sons rather than two wives. Now, the birthright goes to Esau, for he is the firstborn. Even though the birthright rightly belonged to Esau, Jacob still coveted it. The first time we see the evidence of Jacob seeking to secure the birthright is when Esau came from the field. Okay, let us now turn back to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. And we want to look at verse number 29, Genesis 25, 29. And the Bible says, and Jacob saw pottage, and Esau came from the field, he was faint. So now in this text is pointing out that when Jacob was cooking some sod, or he was soding some pottage, which means he was cooking some pottage that Esau came from the field because he, Esau was a hunter. Esau stayed in the field. He was a man of the world. Where Jacob was a homeboy, he, he, he stayed in tents. But he was cooking this day, and when, when he was cooking, Esau smelled the aroma of it, and plus he was hungry when he came in from the field, and he was very hungry. And in his faint condition, he asked Jacob to feed him of the red pottage that was boiling. Notice what it says in verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint, therefore was his name called Edom. Edom means red, okay? So here he wanted something of what Jacob was cooking. And so Jacob, taking advantage of his condition says to him, sell, in verse 31, he says, and Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, in verse 32, behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day, and he swore unto him, And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. So here we're seeing that Jacob received the birthright because Esau swore that he would give it to him for some red pottage. So Esau sold his birthright and Jacob made him to swear unto him and he did so. And so this was the first deception. This was the first deception. Now, we may not look at it as a deception because Esau was in his right mind. He could have said, even though he was hungry, that, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't accept that. But he, he, he accepted it, and when he went on to eat it, he had sold it out. It was no longer his. However, as we fast forward, we are told in chapter 27. Now, let's turn to chapter 27. In chapter 27, and we want to look at verse number one. The Bible said, and it came to pass, that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son? And he said unto him, Behold, here am I. Okay, so here he was getting on, Isaac was getting on, on in age, and he knew he would be gone pretty soon, so he called his son because he wanted to do something for him. Okay, so when we read verse 2, it says, And he said, Behold, I am old, and I know not the day of my death. Now, therefore, take, I pray thee, thy weapons, and thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison okay so 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 in other words he is telling him to get him some venison before he die and around this time when he brought the venison that Jacob says he says here He said in verse 4 and make me savory meat, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. So he is letting uh, Esau know that he's about to come into inheritance of the birthright. Now, while he's doing all of this, the Bible tells us that, and Rebekah. Uh it says in verse number, let me see, in verse number six, it said, And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before Yah, before my death. So she got a breath of the conversation. And now she's telling Jacob. So now we can see some more deception that is that is coming. And so as she got that and she shared it with Jacob, she said, Behold, I heard the conversation <clears throat> of that that he had with your brother about the venison. Now I want you to make some venison by going to the flock. Now when we look at uh now when we look at verse number uh Seven. When we look at verse seven, it says, Bring me venison and make me savory me that I may eat and bless thee before Yah and before my death. Okay, so that's what verse seven is saying. That's what Esau, I mean Isaac is saying. Okay, so Rebecca had some other plans. And Rebecca's plans was to get Jacob to do it rather than Esau. So we find here some deception will be taking place. So when we continue to 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 read, what we find here is that she says now therefore my son in verse eight obey my voice according to that which I command thee, go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two Good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. Okay. So here we see that she is getting ready to make the venison and to be able to have a son to take it in. And then we go on to read, it, it said, And thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. So she was trying to get that birthright to get on Jacob. And verse 11 says, And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother is hairy, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. So here we find that Jacob uh, is recognizing that his father, even though his eyes were growing dim at this time, if he felt him, he would recognize that he was smooth-skinned and that his brother Esau was Harry. And that if he went in, his father would no doubt discern that he was not Esau. But she had something for that. So what what she said was she says in verse number well let's start look let's look at verse uh verse 15 she said in the uh, 27th chapter she said and rebecca took goodly raiment of her eldest son esau which were with her in the house and put them upon Jacob, her son, and she put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So here she is saying, you may be smooth skinned, but I can get some of the garments that are in the house of Esau that are Harry, and I can put it on you, so when you go in and he feel you, he can feel the fur. So when we look at that, Isaac blesses, so when Isaac goes in, in according to uh, verse 24 of the 27th chapter, and the Bible says, and he said, art thou my very son Esau, and he said, I am. So he here he is with the venison and the pottage all tucked away and he's dressed down with the skins of Esau. And his father didn't discern that he was Jacob. And so Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau and, and immediately, After Jacob was was blessed, the scriptures tell us in verse 30 of the 27th chapter, immediately after after Isaac blesses Jacob, the Bible tells us in verse 30, and it came to pass that as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his honey." So just as soon as he left, his brother was coming in to get that blessing. And it goes on to say, and he also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father and said unto his father, let my father arise and eat his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said unto him, who art thou? And he said, I am thy son. Thy firstborn Esau and Isaac said, and Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who, where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him, yea, and he shall be blessed. So with that, Esau was infuriated. Esau learns that his brother Jacob has tricked him. Now we want to look at verse thirty six We want to look at verse 36 because it's got some uh, some quite important information here in genesis twenty seven thirty six it says and this is this is Esau's talking and Esau and he said, is not he rightly named Jacob for he has supplanted me these two times mm he said, he is supplanting me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. See, he had already given up the birthright when he Jacob fed him, and now Jacob got not only the birthright, but now he's getting a, the getting a blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? So, so when Esau learns that his brother had tricked him, he said, is not his name, Jacob. <laughs> so in other words, he's going back to his name, because in biblical names, oftentimes the name not only described the character, but the behavior of the person that was carrying that name. And he said, "Is not his name Jacob?" And Jacob's mean "to follow after or supplanter." And to supplant" means "to take by the heel. When he was coming out of the womb of Rebekah, he took hold of the heel of Esau. And when you are supplanter, it means you're going to trip somebody up. And Esau goes on to say that Jacob had tripped me up twice. The first time he tricked me up was when I came in faint and wanted some food. I sold him my birthright. And now he has tricked me by bringing you the food first and you blessed him. He said these two times I have been tricked. He has tripped, tripped me up. And now the second time is where he has used deception to get the birthright, uh, 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 to get the blessing by pretending to be his brother Esau. So what we see in this deception, what we see in this deceptive behavior is similar to that of Adam and Eve. When they transgressed, they feared and falsified their reasoning for doing so. Now, here, Jacob fears that he might not secure the birthright, so he falsifies his doings. Adam and Eve hid themselves behind fig leaves and trees to conceal their shame and doings. (coughs) And Jacob and Rebekah hid behind goatskins to conceal their shameful doings. So what we see is what happened in Eden is still coming on down the genealogy to each generation. Each generation is getting more deceptive and more deception. And so we're going to stop here, <clears throat> and then next week we're going to be looking at deception in a much broader picture than we see now. because. Deception is going to take on a whole new look, because we found that deception is not only in the world, but deception is also in the covenant people who supposed to be coming back to the covenant. They still have deception in there. So we want to broaden this next week. Father in heaven, as we look and we see what happened in Eden did not just stay in Eden, It passed on down to the offspring of the children of Adam and Eve. And when it got to Abraham, it was still there. When it got to Isaac, it was still there. And when it got down to Esau and Jacob, it was still there. And so we are asking, O Heavenly Father, that as we look at this deceptive practices that has engulfed our people, that we have to consider that we are also a part of that deception as well. And if we don't check the nature of that deception in us, we'll find ourselves doing the same thing that our forefathers did. So give us the strength, give us the ability to do what you would have us to do and not what our distorted nature is telling us to do. We ask this prayer in Yeshua's name and for his dear sake, we do pray, amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Uh,
0: So is the birthright still important to this day?
1: Yes, yes, it is important. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and w- what is the difference between the birthright and the blessing?
1: Well, usually, birthright, uh, it's sort of like you become the leader of the, of the entire family, you become, uh, like the priest of the family,
0: uh-huh.
1: and that's what Jacob just uh, Jacob was more spiritual minded than Esau, and he wanted it. Esau had it coming to him, but Esau didn't really treasure it, uh-huh. and so. When you think about the birthright, you think about you're going to be the head of the family and whatever goods the father have when he passed away, you're going to get twice as much.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And so as I was trying to point out that Yeshua was the firstborn. So that means that whatever the father had, you know, uh, he, he 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 had. Mm-hmm. And if we connect with, with that, with our birthright, we're not on a only going to have the prosperity in this world, but also in the world to come. So that's what made it uh, so significant is the amount that they would receive, and also connected with what ultimately, what Elohim wanted us to receive, which would be the kingdom of Elohim. Mm. And to get that kingdom, we have to be a part of the birthright, because if we're the children of Yeshua, and he's the firstborn of Elohim, then he w- shared share with us the wealth. So it didn't stop in this world, but it takes us over into the world to come. So that made it very important. And you couldn't, you couldn't sell that because uh, money couldn't buy that. If you got a tr- trillion dollars, you couldn't buy that. Why? Because when, once you get that birthright in the world to come, uh-huh. a trillion dollars will be like a penny.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I mean, it wouldn't be nothing. Because when you get the eternal riches, that is forever. And there's so much it will take a lifetime to even to to absorb it so you couldn't sell it if you did like esau uh-huh. then you didn't treasure it and you you have lost much more by selling it than you would if you 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 had kept it uh-huh. it is better to keep the birthright and die uh-huh. rather than to sell the birthright and die in this world because if you if you sell your birthright in this world and then you try to come back in the, uh, and then when the new world comes You don't have anything, but if you accept Yeshua, who was the firstborn and you accept the birthright from him, then even if you died in this world, when you come back, you're going to have far more in the world to come than you ever would have had in this world. So the the birthright was very important.
0: So I just wonder why. Uh. You know, did Esau sell it for food? I mean, seemed like he he could have. I mean, his father asked him to go out there kill him some food and make some venison. I don't saying why he couldn't make himself some venison or ask his mother for food. And I believe he was married. Why couldn't yep. he had to ask his wife for food? Why did he have to go ask his brother and sell it for food?
1: Well, I think on this occasion, like the Bible, the Bible was saying that. Uh when when he uh when he when he came in uh he was uh he was faint
0: uh-huh.
1: see he 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 wasn't uh see in verse 29 of the 25th chapter it says and Jacob sold pottage which means he's cooked cooked pottage and Esau came from the field and he was faint he was tired uh-huh. and maybe Jacob was the only one around with the food and the food uh-huh. was no doubt If he was tired and he didn't feel like making it, and it was already made, then he probably smelled it, and and his adrenal and and his digestive juices started working. He said, "Well, you know, maybe I can get some of this." So he asked Jacob for it, and Jacob said, "Yeah, you can get it, but it's going to cost you." Uh Now he could have, he could have probably just said, "Well, I don't want it, but uh, I'll look, I'll look around for something in the meantime just to satisfy my hunger." But he wasn't willing. He was saying, "Well, what good would it do? You know, if I if I die," he said, "What good would the birthright do?" You well, know, he didn't treasure it. Just like when Yeshua was in the wilderness, the devil tried to get him to uh, to sin in order to make uh, stones bread, but he didn't listen to him. He went on to serve Elohim in spite of his hunger, and he could have done the same thing, but he chose to sell it. So sometimes you find yourself in circumstances that uh, is difficult, and you have to make some decision. Are you gonna uh, deal with hunger and get rid of the birthright, or are you gonna deal with the hunger and, uh, and 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 keep the birthright even though you're hungry, but you 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 won't yield to selling your birthright because of your hunger. Mm you know you sometimes you have to make a hard decision but his decision was i get rid of it
0: um in, in colossians 118, when it states hmm. the firstborn from the dead what does that mean
1: uh it means two things in other words uh we know that yeshua was not the the first person to come from the dead because before he before he came and died we had uh moses uh-huh. He died, and Elohim brought him forth, okay? And then we know that Lazarus died, and he brought him forth. So when He talks about in Colossians, the firstborn of the dead, uh, he is talking about a person who is the firstborn that centers on, on the resurrection in the sense that the individuals who was resurrected before him, in order to have their resurrection, they had to depend upon Yeshua overcoming sin. Uh-huh. So they calls him the firstborn, not so much in the rank that he was the firstborn uh, as far as coming from the dead, but he was the firstborn because all of the dead centered in him. In other words, if he didn't rise from the grave, the very people that he had resurrected from the grave, uh, they, would n- they would not have eternal life if he hadn't gone through with, with, the, uh, with the crucifixion and the death and his resurrection. Uh-huh. So when he's talking about the firstborn, it is saying he's the first one of this kind who all of the rest of the individuals, when, when they were resurrected from the dead, they were looking forward to y- Yeshua being resurrected because if he hadn't been resurrected, Then they would never have eternal life. But since he was the focal point of everybody from that time who would rise, and even in the future who would rise from the grave, is because Yeshua had victory over the grave. So he was firstborn in the sense of him being the one that all of the rest were dependent upon. Now let us go to the uh, let us go to the uh, let me see the book of Revelation. Now when we go to the book of Revelation. Uh, Let me see, I think that Revelation chapter 7, yeah, I believe it is, Revelation chapter 7, and I think that's somewhat to say to the question that you're asking the first one, okay? Let me see, Revelation chapter 7, and we want to look at, uh, we want to look at, uh, okay, we want to look at, well, we're gonna start with verse verse four and read uh, a couple of verses. I think four and five should do it. It said, "And I heard a number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed, one hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel." Now you know Israel had twelve sons, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now what you notice here in 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 in, the, in Genesis chapter uh, seven in verse five, it says. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Okay, now we know, according to the Bible, that Judah was not the first son. Who was the first son? Well, actually uh, uh, Benjamin was the first son. Okay, Uh not not Benjamin, uh, I mean uh, Reuben was the first son. Uh Okay, but Reuben's place was taken in the book of Revelation by Judah. Now there's some reason for that, but what I'm trying to point out to you that all all the time the firstborn is not actually the firstborn, but the person that has been identified for a particular purpose. Therefore, it puts Judah rather than Reuben being the firstborn. Now, now when now why why would uh why would Judah be the firstborn? All right. It was because when Judah uh Came forth. He came forth from the first wife, who was Leah. Leah, she had, uh, she, 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 she bore, uh, 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 she bore Judah, which means praise. Uh-huh. Okay, but originally Reuben, he was the firstborn as far as her firstborn child. But when he laid with one of the handmaidens, then that threw him out because he should not have laid with Jacob's uh, concubines, okay? But in Revelation, it didn't start with Reuben, who was the firstborn. It started with Judah, and Judah is the line that Yeshua came through in order to be the Messiah, because when you read in the book of Hebrews, it says that uh, Yeshua, who came from the tribe of Judah, he was a high priest, but according to the Bible, it says that only the priests could come through the tribe of Levites or the Aaronic priesthood. Uh-huh. But Yeshua didn't come from Aaron or the Le- Levitical priesthood. He came through Judah, and yet he was made a priest. So he was firstborn in the sense that he was specially chosen by Elohim. Okay.
0: All right. And with that, we will transition. So our next segment. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can shoot us an email at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com with your questions and comments, and we're going to get to them right after the Let's Talk About It segment. You can also drop a comment or message in the chat. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So in this week, in, let's talk about it. I want to talk about it. Do we need to be perfect to get into the kingdom, to get into the eternal kingdom? Uh, we all are born into sin, but is there an instance where we have to become perfect to come into the kingdom? So if you have your Bible, so I want to read a couple of verses. The first two verses, we're going to go into 1 Corinthians Uh, Chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 6, and we're reading 9 and 10. And it reads, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of Yahuwah? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor adulterers, idolterers nor adulterers, nor infinite, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves or nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of Yahuwah. So here it says the things that the people that will not inherit the eternal kingdom. Um, I want to go to also Matthew the third chapter verses th- Matthew the third chapter verse two. And Matthew three, verse two reads, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So is repentance does repentance make us perfect? So what so, Pastor, the question is do we have to be perfect to to get into the eternal kingdom? Yes. I, go ahead. Mm. And uh, does repentance make us perfect? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. off Off hands, I would say we yes we we do have to be perfect. But mm-hmm. let's look at that from the perspective uh, that we're dealing with it. Okay. And then we'll deal with the repentance portion of it. Okay, let, let's turn in the same book of Matthews. Let us turn to chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, we want to look at uh, verse number 48. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in 648, it says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. So in other words, he's telling us to be perfect In the same sense in which his father in heaven is perfect okay now when you look at perfection what is perfection okay Okay. now uh perfection can come in 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 two ways in other words you can have something uh made perfect from the beginning just like uh adam and eve they were perfect when they they were made they came perfect and the bible says that lucifer he was perfect in the day that he was made until iniquity was found in him. Okay. Uh-huh. But then there's another type of perfection that you're not made perfect because we can't, the Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory. So that in itself lets us know that we're not perfect. So what we look at uh, not only being made perfect, but we are looking at uh, 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 a progressive, what we may call a progressive, Perfectness, okay. And what I mean by that is, it, is that when we accept Yeshua and begin to walk in the way that He walked, we are progressing toward perfection. Uh-huh. All right. Let me illustrate this by saying, if I'm in school, in elementary school, and I'm taking arithmetic, and I start off by taking addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. I can be perfect in, in, in just those four areas, but those four areas are preparing me for what? They're preparing me for geometry, they are preparing me for algebra. they are preparing me for uh, uh, higher forms of math, math that you know, I, I'll, I'll be doing. trigonometry and stuff like that. But I haven't gotten to trigonometry. I haven't gotten to the higher forms of math, but I'm still. In elementary, but I can be perfect there. Uh-huh. And then, if I'm perfect there, when I start taking algebra, I can be perfect in algebra. But notice how I'm progressing. And then, when I get to uh, uh, trigono- uh, trigonometry, I can use the skills that I got in elementary, high school, and you know. Then, when I get to college, then trigonometry is something I can be perfect in too, because I've laid the foundation. It's just like when you put a grain of corn in the ground okay and it began to sprout now when it sprouts all you're going to see is a green leaf some green leaves coming out of the ground but those green leaves are perfect and then all of a sudden you see the stalk but the stalk has no corn on it but it's still a perfect stalk so you got the green leaf that grows into a stalk and the stalk is perfect at that stage and then You'll notice that an ear begins to come on on the stalk, which we call an ear of corn. And as that ear grows, it's perfect at each stage. But then, all of a sudden, the full corn comes into the into the uh, ear of the corn, and it's perfect at that stage. It didn't. It started off with a perfection at a smaller stage, but as it continued to progress. It was perfect at each stage until the full corn was there. So we're talking about a progressive perfectness that as we progress, so as we walk with Elohim, Uh we we try to be perfect at each stage. So how do you do that? Well, as you start walking, you will make some mistakes. You will blunder. Just like even in in, in the uh, epistles of John, he said, he that... uh, comes to Elohim does not sin, but if he sins, he does have an advocate. So when we sin on our way to perfection, then the life of Yeshua atones for us. And since his life is perfect and he gives us his life, then when Elohim looks at us, he don't see our sins. He see the perfection that Yeshua has given from his life to make us perfect. And then we say, well, what happened to our sins? He said, well, Yeshua has taken your sins and he has put them on the cross. So he died for your sins. So since he died for them, those sins, don't even matter with me. Only thing I see is his life in you. So you are perfect with me because he was perfect. And if you accepted his life, then you are perfect. And then he becomes imperfect because he got your sins. And then on the day of atonement, he'll give them sins back to Satan. But what I'm saying is they can be perfect in each spear, mm. and so when we look at perfection, we got to look at it in a progressive way at each stage, and when we do sin, and we're not just purposely sinning, we're not practicing sin, because if we're practicing sin, then he, I mean, there's no salvation for that, but if we're honestly making mistakes as we go, then he said, I atone for you, and when he atones for you, the imperfection that you had become perfect again,
0: okay um i want to get into some of the questions uh well
1: let me me, just for you let me now let me deal with the repentance okay now repentance uh is that you were going one way but you're going another Uh now the word uh, repentance come from the word metanoia now metanoia means a change of mind Uh in other words if you are going incorrectly according to the word of Elohim and you discover that, wait a minute, Elohim told me to do this and I'm not doing it. So therefore I'm going incorrectly. So it means to turn around and to start going in the correct way. So in other words, if I'm reading something in the scriptures that I should be doing that I'm not doing, the repent is to change your mind. And so when you change your mind, you 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 allowing that change of mind to filter down into your behavior. The things that I was doing that was sinful, I've changed my mind, and my behavior is also changed to go in the right direction. Mm. So in a way, repentance does lead to perfection, mm. because it's checking you every step of the way. This is why when both uh, John the Baptist and Yeshua, respectively, when they started their ministry, you you would notice. They, uh, that they started by preaching the kingdom of Elohim is at hand. Repent, they says. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. And I believe you already used that text in Matthew uh, uh, 3, two. Mm-hmm. So when you repent, and, and, and especially when you first come into Yeshua, you repent and you are baptized, all your sins are washed away. And when you come out of the water because you repented, you don't go back to the sinful way. You start walking in the right way. And as you continue to walk, You're going to make some more mistakes, and you're going to have to repent again. And as you repent, Elohim gives you his life to continue to give you the perfection in the areas that you were imperfect in. And pretty soon, like Abraham, you walk with him long enough, you're going to become like him. And -hmm. he called Abraham his friend, and we can become his friend by walking and doing what he says. And when we sin, we repent, and we continue to do that. And as a result, we reach the perfection.
0: Awesome. So as long as we continue to repent, we can achieve mm-hmm. perfection.
1: Yeah. You can never outgrow repentance because every time you get into something wrong, you just you have to repent. Just like David, uh-huh. he got into a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. But what did he do? He kept repenting. And Elohim oh. says, David was a man after my own heart.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we uh, we have some questions from our viewers And if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant.gmail.com or drop it in the chat. The first question reads, How can we obtain Matthew 5.48? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. When Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of Elohim.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, what we we must understand is that uh, she you said Romans. What was Romans where? Uh, three twenty three. Matthew five forty eight.
0: Romans three twenty three. Okay, now you see Romans
1: three? you Romans three twenty three? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I said for all have sinned. Yeah. Okay. And come short of the glory of Elohim. OK, now, in, in one way I can answer you is if you read verse 24 after verse 23 in, in Romans 3:23, it says for and in, in, in we are we have sinned and all come short of the glory. But in verse 24, it says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Yeshua, the Messiah. In other words, he's saying, yeah, you are sinful, but he has given you his grace Now, grace is something you don't deserve, but he gives it to you anyway. And he said, I'm giving it to you through my son because he has paid the redemption price. He paid for your sins. So now when you accept him, you just continue to follow him and your life will continue to grow grow in in perfection. Okay. Uh So now when we look at that in the light of Matthew's you said Matthew's five
0: forty-eight.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Oh yeah, that's. Uh, uh, let me see. Okay, I, I think, I think I, I, I use that text in. A... Uh
0: yeah, I think it did. I really yeah mean.
1: okay, I I might have said six forty-eight. I'm not sure. I might have made a mistake but anyway in matthews 5 48 he said be you therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect this is because when yeshua came down here to live he was carrying out the character of his father he said i come to do my father's will see he he came that he said be you therefore perfect even as my father in heaven he says uh i think somewhere in the book of john is that uh we are to do the good works of the Father. And if we glorify the Fathers here on earth, then we can glorify him before others. Mm -hmm. So what we're looking at is that as we walk with him, he perfects our life through the life of Yeshua, his son, by taking the power of the Holy Spirit and impressing us with the life of his son. And as we listen to the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, then we'll come more in his likeness. So how do we become evil? The way we become evil and wicked is, we walk by the spirit of who? The devil. And if we walk by the devil's spirit, we're gonna become more and more like the devil. But when we walk in the spirit, we're gonna become more and more like the one who gave us the spirit, which is Yeshua, the Messiah. And if we do that, we'll become more and more in the image of our father. Now, let us notice also uh, how we can become perfect, okay? Now, when we turn to the book of Galatians, the Bible tells us this. In Galatians, it says, with verse 22 and following, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, longsuffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So he talked about the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, but fruit. So in other words, we got the fruit, we got goodness, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance, all of that. And he says against, there is no law. In other words, what he is saying is, you're not condemned if you do these things, but you're walking in the Spirit. And notice what it further says. It said, and they that are of the Messiahs have crucified the flesh and the affections of lust. In other words, the flesh wants to do things contrary to what Elohim wants. That's what you call carnal living. But when you do spiritual living, you want to follow the spirit. That's what makes you spiritual living. You're not following just uh, your desires just because you want it. Even though it's wrong, you still do it. That's lust. But he says in verse 25 of uh, Galatians 5, he said, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. So when we do that, Is bringing us up to the standard of perfection. Yes, we have sinned. We have come short. But the whole plan of redemption is to take those of us who have sinned and bring us back to the image of Elohim by making us perfect again. So that's the whole purpose of the plan of salvation, to make
0: you perfect. Okay. And the next question is, who was walking in the garden? Was it father or the son?
1: I think, it was, I think it basically was the was son. Now, when, when, you, when, when you look at, uh, let me see, let's turn to that chapter. Uh, you know, now, now, the Bible says here, uh, and they heard the voice of Yah Elohim walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife. Hear themselves from the presence of Yah Elohim amongst the trees of the garden. Now, one of the reasons why I feel, now, it uses the word Elohim. Now, Elohim means there's more than one, 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 uh, what they call God, or one El. El is another word for God in the singular, but Elohim is the plural. Uh He said Yah Elohim. In other words, he was a part, uh, Yah was a part of the Elohim. You got the father and you got the son. So if he made, according to Book of Colossians, if he made man through Yeshua, I would think that it was Yeshua who was uh, walking with, who came in the cool of the day in the garden that was walking. I think it, it was Yeshua. Now, the other reason why I feel it was Yeshua is because later on, they had to kill uh, animal in order to clothe Adam and Eve because the aprons or the fig leaves was not sufficient. Because if you got fig leaves, number one, you got to think in terms of the fact that the leaves are going to dry up and become crumbly. They, they they're not doable. Mm-hmm. They temporary. But when you got skins that come from an animal, and I I'm I'm interjecting, I can't prove it. But I think it was a sheep, but let us say, whatever the animal was it, was, it was a clean animal that he used, and I think it was a lamb. That when he killed that lamb, he took the fleece of that lamb and made them garments for both of them, because I imagine a lamb then was pretty large when they were first created, and he made garments for them. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying this. Yeshua knew that ultimately he would have to come into this world and to die for mankind. The father was not going to die. The father cannot die. Yeshua came from the father, so therefore he could die. And by slaying that animal and clothing Adam and Eve with that garment from the sheep, he was pointing out not only giving them a garment, but pointing to the fact that one day what he did to the sheep is what's gonna be done to him. And since he could die, then he was the appropriate one to kill the sheep. And since he died on the cross, then I can look back and say, he was demonstrating in the Garden of Eden that when he was coming in the cool of the day, walking there, that it was Yeshua who who was there. And when we look at the cross, we can look all the way back to our first parents that when he killed that lamb for them, that eventually he would be the lamb who would die for the entire world, not just Adam and Eve. So I think it was the son, not the father.
0: Okay. And the other question we have that was emailed in is, is there a spiritual meaning for the pottage being red?
1: Oh, uh, yes. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, a lot of times if you go to the grocery store sometimes you can see uh, they had red lentils they got red lentils they think it was lentil beans uh, that they had that pottage and uh, they call it uh, the the red pottage and if you look up the name Esau Uh Esau also has something to do with red and they call it uh, Esau. Sometimes they they call it Edom. Now Edom also mean means red. Okay. But now when he made that pottage, now it assumed that I don't know if he had the dark lentils or the red lentils, but I know today they they name the red lentils in the store. They not exactly red, but they look orangey. Orangey, but they call them red lentils. Is that? the the redness of the lentils uh was somewhat in correlation with the redness of the hair of Esau. So when we look at the red and they call them Edom, we're looking at a people that was uh we look at well, I would say we're looking at Esau who were characterized by red hair. So what 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 Jacob was making and what uh the pottage, it was probably a red stew that was that was in the pot. It not only appealed to the aroma of the nose and the t- and, and also the the sapato uh, or the taste, but it also appealed to the eyes. It was very reddish reddish looking. And uh, this didn't call it you know, the, the red pottage mm-hmm. because it comes from the word Edom and Edom come from Esau, which means reddish. So it might have some symbolical as well as literal interpretations on that. Okay.
0: All right. Uh, with that, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out for this week?
1: Okay. Our loving Father, we thank you that we can meet again and to be able to look forward to Sabbath or we can congregate and discuss and you know, talk about things, Lord, that is pertinent to us that we can be better for thee. And as we strive for perfection and as we deal with the deceptive nature that we have. We all have it. That we may be able to listen to the Spirit and the Spirit can lead us to be able to get all of the things that you have for us without trying to deprive somebody else, but allow you to work in our behalf to be able to accomplish the things that you would have us accomplish. And when we come into difficult situations that we want to compromise like Esau, give us the alternative like Yeshua or Heavenly Father to depend upon you. Because you said man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of Elohim. So help us to succumb to that. And as we do that, you can give us strength to be able to stand for your covenant. And when you do come, you can find a faithful people that is walking in the covenant promise, being led by your spirit to do the things that you would have us to do. That one day you can say unto each of us, well done. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.
0: I uh, just wanted to reiterate, we enjoy your interaction with us. Uh, rather you email us, put a message in the chat, uh, we enjoy your interaction. Mm-hmm. If you want to stay anonymous, we have no problem with that. We won't state your name or anything of that nature. So just send your comment or question in and we will get to it. And we will keep your... Who well, you are, a secret. You, ain't, you don't have to disclose all of that. Just send us a message in your comment. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant@gmail.com. gmail.com. Also, before we go, please don't forget to hit the like button if you haven't hit the like button so we can continue to spread this ministry to the four corners. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before Yahuwah to walk after Yahuwah and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul. To perform the words of the covenant, which are written in this book, 2nd Chronicles 34, 31. Until next week, shalom tawaba, peace, blessings, and good to all of you. Shalom.